Welcome to the No Meh Movies Podcast. How many times have you heard a movie is alright? It's average. It's just okay. If you ask your friends if you should see it and they say, meh. I'm Davey Barris and he's Darren Cross. And on this show, we'll break down and review these movies and decide once and for all if these meh movies are good or bad. And whether or not you should watch them. Because on this show, there are no meh movies. Now, the criteria for a movie to qualify as meh, because it's out of our hands, it's not our call, it must be between 40 and 60 on the tomato meter, or 4 and 6 on IMDb. And the movie we are doing this week, in honor of Hobbs and Shaw coming to theaters, the next Fast and the Furious movie, we decided we need to go look at another Jason Statham driving action movie. And we went back to 2008's Death Race, which scores a 42% on Rotten Tomatoes and scores a 6.4 on IMDb. Now, a spoiler warning, of course. Spoiler warning for Death Race. We're going to be talking about the whole movie. In case it's been a while since you've seen it or you've never seen it before, Death Race takes place in a dystopian future. I guess kind of dystopian future, slightly dystopian future where our star Jensen Ames gets framed for a murder and thrown into prison because he has a background in driving. And this prison just happens to have the very popular reality television show Death Race, which is Grip the Nation. And they need Jensen Ames to fill in for their legendary driver, Frankenstein. Now Jason Statham must compete against other drivers for his freedom and for his life. That is, I guess, the plot of Death Race. <laughs> it's really not that complicated of a movie. No. But, Darren, the question looms. Was it an entertaining movie? Were you entertained? I was entertained. This was a very fast-paced movie. Uh, not a lot happened before the action started, and then there wasn't a lot of non-action happening pretty much the whole time. And it did enough to make me curious about how the movie was going to end. You make the assumption just because of the movie that they're going to escape. Some combination of prisoners are going to escape at some point. So you knew that was coming, but I wasn't generally interested to see how it was going to happen. And I guess, yeah, just all the action and the racing was engaging enough that I I felt I felt entertained. I was I was I was engaged the whole time. And the, the reason we start with this question every week is because, obviously, if a movie isn't entertaining, like if you're not gripped, if you're not entertained, you're going to have a really hard time calling it a good movie, being invested in the movie. So, yes, I definitely was entertained by this movie. First off, a little bit of history on this movie. So, this movie is considered a remake right. of a movie called Death Race 2000, which came out in... 1975 right when 2000 was gonna was a long time away oh yeah i mean back to the future they traveled the year 2015 (laughs) it's kind of a remake of that movie kind of not it's also kind of a prequel to that movie death race 2000 is a crazy ass movie where the point of the movie is to mow citizens down it's like this hyper violent movie 
also kind of campy and cheesy. Yeah. The tagline on the poster is, in the year 2000, hit and run driving is no longer a felony. It's the <laughs> national sport. So, I need to go watch this. I did not watch it. So this is the pedigree that it's coming from. And there are shades of a lot of prison movies, you know, uh, Shawshank Redemption, a little bit, a little bit. And there's also a lot of shades of other reality show yeah. movies. You know, I felt a lot of Running Man in this. I felt a lot of Hunger Games in this. Um, and then obviously you got driving movies. You got Fast and the Furious. You know what? I'm just going to roll right into does this movie do what it's supposed to do? Because I, all I can say for was I entertained? Yes, I was entertained. Like, <laughs> it, it's a very complicated answer that I think you're going to have to wait till the end of the episode to really hear how I feel about it. Did this movie do what it was supposed to do? As far as the driving goes, yes, absolutely. And it coming off this pedigree of like Fast and Furious style movies. As long as they ramp the action up to a high enough level, then the movies are doing what they're supposed to do. Yeah. Do they make sense all the time? <laughs> no. Are, are the stunts practical? Probably not. But does it like create a high-octane thrill ride that I enjoy going on? Or I'm entertained by going on? Yes, this movie definitely does that. Nice, nice use of the word octane. Thank you. Very appropriate. Thank you. I'll agree that... For the most part, I think it did what it was supposed to do. Uh, you know that I I tend to take a, a genre approach to this question. Looking at Rotten Tomatoes, they call it action, adventure, mystery, and suspense, science fiction, and fantasy. That's it's too many. It's too, no, a lot it's going too on many. <laughs> It's not all of those things. <laughs> I do think it did what it was supposed to do. I don't think it stands up to all those genres. I, I don't know if you, you I don't know if you could really call it science fiction. So much because you're. They, it's not like they've created something that doesn't already exist. They've just taken things that currently exist and like put them on overdrive. I think the science fiction comes in from the dystopian future. Yeah, like okay. Running Man, Hunger Games. You know, it's all this dystopian. It's not, it's not future necessarily that techn- science technology. Although Hunter, Hunger Games, you could argue there's a lot of yeah, technology yeah. we don't have. But in Running Man, I don't think there really was anything that was tech technologically wise anything like super advanced but again it's set in a dystopian future and some crazy reality tv shows grip the nation Mm -hmm. so on the entire death race franchise they just call it a car combat franchise (laughs) i like that is that a new genre car combat (laughs) can we create a movie that creates its own genre that's pretty cool yeah i think you Uh, might have to create like at least two (laughs) <laughs> or maybe even three. Maybe you need three movies for it to be its own genre. Well, there's a lot here. Right. We'll get into it in right. sequels. Right. Right. Um, as far as the car combat goes, yeah, definitely. Again, it, the action is there. Those those scenes were, and we'll talk a little in successes and failures, but those scenes were pretty impressive. Yeah. And uh, what, how about as far as like the reality TV show? Like, Let's talk a little bit about that trope. Yeah, I actually I'll I'll give away one of my successes in that it did feel like the way they set it up that you could be like an audience member tuning in for this show like the way that it was set up like because they would show like what the broadcast was yeah I thought that would I thought they sold that pretty well 
you know, there, there was like this, there was a sales pitch to it. It's like, oh, you can watch this, but then if you pay ninety nine dollars, you can watch this, and so it felt uh, it felt pretty realistic in that sense. I thought Dick Irvasti doing the voiceover voice. Over ninety million people have already subscribed <laughs> to Death Race. Why do you think so many movies kind of rely on this reality TV trope? Like, why can't it just be a sporting event? Why is it reality TV? I th- I think it a lot of it is a a theme that they're either the writer or director is trying to push that like. If you're far enough removed from things, like physically, then like people can be pretty messed up and like buy into these sort of situations. So I think it's sort of like a humanity or entertainment kind of sell that that they're trying to um, like a theme that they're trying to sort of go for, where like they think people that in the right situation, in the right, you know, if the if the timing is right, if the what's happening in the world is right, then like this could be a success. And I think a theme is like how messed up that is that humans can let something like this happen and the fact that it always devolves to like entertainment or tv to be the like guiding force that is like the last the last hope that humanity has to turn to in those types of times i don't are they saying that like tv is like the lowest form of entertainment like i feel like it's a shot of tv almost like in the end we'll all turn to our slave master that is tv you know yeah i mean uh a lot of movies do that where like it's you know it's your only source of your main source of news it's your main source of entertainment i mean it must be a popular show because even jensen ames our driver has seen it right he watches he too. watched it before yeah. he was part I, I think it's strange that it always devolves into tv like i i just don't see us if like civilization is crumbling i think i'm letting go of tv i'm not getting super invested in reality tv because the world is so shitty. <laughs> I, I just, I don't see that connection. I don't know. Maybe you're just, you're just smarter than most, Davey. <laughs> you have a higher moral ground. I, no, I, <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> I don't. I just, I, I don't see why the world would turn to TV. I, I don't know what the world would turn to. Like, I feel like we would get back to just simpler times. Like, we would get back to like agriculture or something and like if we were going to regress it would be like that not to this weird manic society that is obsessed with reality tv yeah but if you were so accustomed to like constantly being entertained like we are now like something always grabbing your attention and then suddenly if the economy is failing and you lose most of those things then i think you might you might gravitate towards distractions and I think this is a big distraction. All right. All right. Fair enough. Yeah, we all have distractions in life. You listening to this podcast right now is probably <laughs> a distraction in your life. All right, Darren. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this cast. And it's, it's not a very big cast because it's a very contained movie. Yeah. And obviously, we got to start, start at the top with our star, Jason Statham, Jensen Ames. Mm-hmm. He's the connecting fiber this week on why we're doing this movie on our podcast. What did you think? Did our Fast and Furious star, did he bring it for this movie? I I don't know. I don't think I know what Jason Statham bringing it even looks like, really. (laughs) And that being said, he may have very well brought it because he is sort of designed for or has kind of been typecast into these type of movies. 
he's like a badass, but like always like a quiet guy, pretty reserved. He has been in some other movies where he's had a lot more to say, like Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. That's a very early role right, for him. Right, very early, and he talks a lot more in that movie. But when he gets into these like super action movies, he's a very stoic figure, and I mean, that's what he is in this movie. He's like, you know, the super tough guy, doesn't say a lot, uses very few words, and mostly talk, mostly communicates through action rather than words. He has a, I'll, t- I'll steal a line from Jumanji, one of the rock, his co-star of the rocks, lines. he has a smoldering intensity. Yes. He always has a strong moral compass. Yeah, and true. And a good Jason Statham care, which he has in this movie. True, true. I mean, so Jason Statham, we're talking about the Transporter franchise. We're talking about the Expendables. We're talking about Fast and Furious, obviously. Yeah. Actually, one of my favorite is where he plays against character a little bit is in the movie Spy, which was a comedy. Um, I don't think I saw it. Starring uh, Melissa McCarthy. Oh. Where like they get to play his smoldering intensity for jokes, for okay. laughs a little bit. And it actually works really well. That could be funny. I could see that. Yeah. I, he hasn't done many comedies. I actually kind of wish he would do more kind of sort of action comedic roles like that. Um, I think the Expendables are supposed to be comedies. <laughs> but they, they have some problems on their own. Mm-hmm. Maybe the Expendables, hey, it's a 42% on Rotten Tomatoes. The Expendables could definitely be a movie we do someday. Um, so what do you think? Do you think he I, brought it? I definitely think he brought it. Okay. Um, he, he gives us the intensity. Uh, he gives us the action. He gives us the the drama. I, I, he gives us the full Jason Statham, you know, experience. Mm-hmm. I'm going to spoil a little bit of trivia here. He was very insistent that his fight scenes did not include martial arts mm. because he didn't want it to be associated with some of his other franchises where he uses martial arts sure. transporter series. Yeah. So he uh, he made sure that they choreographed his fight scenes to be a lot more. I don't know, a lot more. Bruiser. Bru- yeah, bruiser. Yeah, there you go. Bruiser. Yeah. Slugfest. I think he hits a lot of people with wrenches and pipes and things. <laughs> yeah. Police batons. Mm-hmm. I'd say he brought it. Okay. Uh, the rest of our cast. So we've got the two. two. Let's talk about our two villains of the movie. Okay. We've got Joan Allen as Hennessy, the warden, and the executive producer of Death Race. And we've got Jason Clark as Ulrich, the head prison warden. And uh, I, I guess uh, we'll give him a producing credit. I'll give him producing credit on Death Race. I don't know what his actual role is on Death Race, but <laughs> giving him a producing credit. Yeah, he's like second in command. So what did you the think? Vice about- warden, if you will. <laughs> our other, our other villains are other drivers, and I'm not going to include them yet. What did you think of our two prison villains here? I thought Joan Allen did a pretty good job. Her expressions, or lack thereof. Always had like a very kind of like cold or like conniving, plotting sort of look the whole time, which I thought, I thought was good, and I th- I think she was sort of set up to be successful from whoever did the casting. I thought it was really interesting and cool that they decided to go with a woman warden in this like extremely violent prison. Rather, I feel like it would have been very simple to go with like a man in this situation. She was convincing as like a plotting sort of you never could trust her you know you got the idea that she she wasn't someone you could trust and then on the other side jason clark was okay he's a tough sell for that kind of role in my opinion i feel like jason clark is a tough sell in a lot of roles (laughs) like 
he's always he's always like kind of there, like kind of what you want, but not really. Never fully. Yeah. Yeah. So like he, they describe his character, Mister Ulrich, as he's supposed to be like sadistic. That's how they descri- describe both of them: sadistic ward and sadistic second in command. I could see it from Joan, but for the most part, I can't really see it from from Jason. He doesn't seem. He kind of seems like annoying or maybe a little bit of a ass, but not like sadistic, like evil. Maybe like the head prison guards in like Shawshank Redemption or something like that. Right. They yeah. were more evil than he. <laughs> For Joan Allen, uh, I'm not, I don't know. I think that the, her stoicness works better as like the head of the CIA in the Bourne franchise. Okay. I here I would have liked a little more a little more from her. She's basically either sitting behind a desk or like standing at a window or standing in her control room. Mm-hmm. Like I just I I don't know. I I, w- I would have liked a little more from her, a little more of like what she was plotting, you know, the reason behind why she was plotting. You know, maybe this is a failure for the writers, but I just didn't really feel the motivations from her on why she was so evil. Okay. I, I I mean, I can put it together in my head. I can make the assumption that the world is now an evil place and you got to be evil to survive, but eh, I don't want to have to make those leaps. I'd rather be confident in saying that because of her acting. Okay. And Jason Clark, yeah, I agree. He, eh. There are a couple roles that I think Jason Clark's been good in. I liked him in The Planet of the Apes, the second one mm-hmm. of the remakes. But yeah, he just never quite... <laughs> It's always like 70% of the way there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's how I feel about our prison team. Yeah. What about, all right, what about the rest of the prisoners? Who are you going to give a shout-out to as far as our prisoners go? I'll give a shout-out to uh, Ian McShane, who played Coach. I thought he he had this sort of, um, you know, I thought when I first saw him was he feels like Beast from X-Men. He's like Ooh, like a like a potentially violent guy but comes across more like intellectual sort of in a way he always has like a little book he's yeah i don't know why i went with the tiny book but yeah and in any case so so that was like when i first saw him and because i think the first time you see him he's like has reading glasses on and he's reading and he seems unfazed by everything that's happening around in this violent place i'm going to get into this a little in successes and failures because i have more to say about that okay character type yeah i thought for what he was asked to do he did a he did a pretty good job. You know, he's sort of like also like pit crew boss, which is its own role sort of in a way. Yeah. I think some of the directing and writing that he was had to use made his character worse than it could have otherwise been potentially. And besides that, I didn't really I didn't think anybody else was really standing standing out. I think they were okay. Like Tyrese, I mean he's fine. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Tyrese basically uh, basically plays Tyrese in every movie that he's in. <laughs> Tyrese is Tyrese. I haven't seen everything. I shouldn't say that. I haven't seen everything. I'm basically basing this on the Fast and Furious franchise yeah. and uh, in this. In the Fast and Furious franchise, he's funnier. He's got he's got a lot more humor. Yeah. You know, he's written to be funnier. Uh, in this, he's written to be more intense and more serious. I, I enjoy Tyrese. I, I I have a lot of questions about the character. It has nothing to do with his acting. A lot of questions about that character that I'm going to bring up in successes and failures. Yeah. But 
I thought he he delivered enough in the role of Machine Gun Joe, the the rival to Frankenstein, to Jason Statham's character. Mm-hmm. Ian McShane, yeah, Ian McShane just has this like badassness to him. I shouldn't even call it a badassness. Ian McShane has this like intensity to him that's just there, right? In like every role, right. like if you sat down across from him for coffee, you'd be like, "This guy's intense. <laughs> this coffee's a little. I I need to go." And it actually works for him, too, because sometimes he can be kind of funny. And so it catches you off guard because you're like, oh, that was kind of funny. I didn't expect you to be funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's a role Jason Statham will be in when he's a little older. There you go. I don't know, when he's yeah. done doing the action movies. Yeah, I thought Ian McShane was good. Just slap a pair of uh, reading glasses on Jason Statham. He's halfway there. <laughs> I'll give a shout out to Fred Kohler who plays List just because he's the only cast member to make it through all of the modern day death race movies. He's in all four. So good for you, Fred Kohler. And I didn't realize until like almost the end of the movie that I recognized him from a very small role he had in like one episode of Criminal Minds. And I like for a long time was like would binge reruns of Criminal Minds. And he plays like one of the murderers, like one of the one of the the villains or whatever in one of the episodes. He does that's, pretty. Yeah, that's good. Anytime you see someone pop up in a serialized TV show like yeah. that, CSI, Law and Order, that's right. fun. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I'll give a shout out to Natalie Martinez who played Case. She's the other woman who's got a lot to do in this movie, and I, she delivers. She's good as the sidekick to Frankenstein. Yeah, uh, navigator. The navigator. She. Oh, the navigator. You're right. Absolutely right. When they needed her to step up and fix things, she fixes things. When they need her to wreak some havoc, she wreaks some havoc. I, I, it's a small part, but I yeah. think she, she delivers. She brought it with Jason Statham. Like when the two of them are in the car together, I felt like we had a pretty good crew. Yeah. And I will say, uh, I, I, we should have said this up top, but we watched the unrated version only because that was the first option that was available <laughs> on Amazon and we both clicked on it. So there are a few details that might sound different if you saw the theatrical version. Like I know her climbing out of the car to fix the machine gun I think is something that's only in the unrated version. So if I say something like that, you're like, that wasn't in the movie. That's why. But the one person who doesn't use a woman navigator is Tyrese. Mm -hmm. He uses another male prisoner. And this is going to take me into successes and failures because – I have no idea what was going on with Machine Gun Joe and the navigators in this whole character that they built. Yeah. Why? Why was he so... They make him gay. He's gay. Is he? They yeah. make jokes about it. Yeah, no. He's they. He's like supposedly legitimately gay, is what I gathered from them watching the movie. Yeah, I guess. They never confirm it. Right. But then they also make jokes about it. Yeah. So, like, why make an inclusive character that just there to be punchline to some really awful jokes? Like, that's a fail for me. And yeah. all the jokes, the gay humor is a complete fail for me. It's it's trying to be this chauvinistic, you know, male-dominated prison world. And it's, like, I don't know, it's two of the weakest characters that are, like, making the jokes. I don't understand why they're in there. Yeah, and, it, I mean, I, I think they did it be, maybe because... In a lot of prison movies, you end up some sort of dynamic between our main character or one of the main characters and if it's a male prison who with a homophobic 
prison or prisoner, another one who's a threat or or whatever, just because of the. But the the way that they execute, executed it was really weird. Like, if you look at like Shawshank Redemption, obviously completely different movie, but they execute this these gay prisoners as more of just sort of like creepy and like make you uncomfortable sort of right they're they're a threat right but not because of their sexuality because they're they're, predators right they're aggressive right and so in this it's just they were just like oh he's gay he only takes uh male navigators and that was the whole story and it was like why (laughs) so the fail goes beyond that for me because he has this like ambivalence towards them where like he he wants a navigator in his car clearly but he doesn't care if they die he even he's like he pushes one out of the car because he's sick of them yeah he they, never listens they're all like to expendable him. to him yeah and they, so, so much so that they they don't want to get in the car with him because they know they're gonna get killed right it becomes a running joke throughout the movie almost like on a looney tunes level where like Things are flying into the windshield of the car and somehow only hit the navigator and not him. Like someone shoots a missile. The dreadnought shoots a missile at the car, kills the navigator, and Joe's completely fine. <laughs> it's just so weird. Like such a weird thing that just really never gets explained. I don't I mean you're right. I don't know. I agree. <laughs> it's a fail. <laughs> As someone who goes on a lot of road trips, I have nothing but respect for the person sitting shotgun right? with yeah, me. That's a tough job. Yeah. They got to look things up on their phone. <laughs> they got to help you curate a good playlist. Yeah, that's a lot going on. All right, what else do you got in successes and failures? So I'll I'll swap over to uh, success. I did like that the way the color of the movie was was done. Where the mat- that's right, we're talking color grading. Oh yeah, mostly like blacks and whites and grays, and then it was very intentional when something was colorful that it was brightly colored and sort of stuck out like there's specifically i can think of a scene where early on in the movie i think there's like a rose or some sort of red flower and it's clearly done intentionally like it's kind of like you know the way where nowadays i think you could probably do it on your smartphone where you take a picture and it makes everything else black and white and like one thing is colorful so i thought that was a cool thing that they did because you're i think it was the idea was to capture this very like depressing world where you have these moments of I don't want to say happiness but maybe moments of like delight or excitement around like this race because you know even though you're a prisoner of this thing if you win the race or you kill the guy or whatever you probably have this like moment of excitement or happiness or whatever so I thought that was that was a success I thought it I thought it worked well even his uh his racing uniform has that bright red two bright red stripes on it kind of stands out yeah I'll also, this is a success slash failure, but I'll lean more to, I'll call it a success. Uh, the opening race, the very first race. The reason I say slash fail is because there's a lot of shaky cam. It's kind of the style. I mean, we're in the born era sure. at this point uh, in time. And there's a lot of quick edits, a lot of fast edits to the point where you're like having a little bit of a hard time figuring out where you are. <laughs> but... It's very thrilling race. I don't think there did, was there two deaths in the first one in the first race or just one. I think there was two. Okay, yeah. It was like just enough of a taste of how violent this could be, and it's a really long scene, a really in-depth scene, 
And yeah, I thought that first race was excellent. Yeah. One of the fails that I had was any sort of attempt that they made, which I think they did try to make an attempt of of romanticizing like cars or engines. Because I, I think that that... Here, here's where the Fast and Furious comes in. Right, right. And what it actually what launched in my head at first was the redo of Mad Max in Fury Road. Ah, uh, okay. So there I'm totally sold on like their like marriage or love for like cars and engines and it's just like part of their bodies almost and here i think they like tried to do that a little bit but i don't know i didn't i didn't really believe it they just they they like just seemed like mechanics they're like i'm a mechanic and i'm a driver and there was no like i don't know there was no love for the cars and even i i'll even fast and the furious executes it a little bit like at the at the very least Vin Diesel and like his dad's car in that movie where he's like afraid of the car. Yeah. And it's like this emotional sort of thing. Yeah, I just didn't I didn't feel it at all. I, so I think there are probably some ways they could have helped that. They rushed the beginning of the movie a little bit. Yeah. And they rush us right into prison pretty quickly. And I mean even something as simple as showing Jason Statham at home working on a car engine, you right. know, tuning, changing the oil or something. Uh, shows you that he's a hands-on with cars kind of guy right yeah it's hard because it's hard because they're in a prison setting and you don't expect prisoners to have cars right. so the fact that all these prisoners get to work on cars is a little bit it's hard to explain then why they are, are so you know why they love cars so much yeah i guess you could have if these races existed outside of prison as well and death race just happened to be the most popular then maybe you would get a feeling that all of society, you know, like cars is an outlet for all of society. Yeah, but maybe. I don't know. You're right. They they rush and they don't explain it at all. Yeah. And there another like quick thing you could do. And I just I love the movie Days of Thunder. Yes. One of my favorite movies. A quick thing you could do, which they do in that movie. And I forget the actor who plays the pit crew chief multiple times throughout the movie. He is alone and he's talking to the car. As if the car is like a person. He's like Ah, asking him to do things and asking him to take care of the driver, take care of Tom Cruise, and like literally just talking to the car. So that's like a quick thing, again, you could do that would sort of develop that a little bit, I think. All right, right on. All right, moving on with successes and failures. Uh, I gave a success to the first race, and I'm giving a big fail to the second race. (laughs) The second race is the one with the dreadnought, the big tanker type thing that Hennessy has built. Right. That's a surprise to our drivers. And they kill almost everyone. Yeah. In that second race. It's a weird decision to only have two of them left at the very end. Like if I'm programming a reality TV show, why am I trying to kill all my drivers? Like I need them. Right. I need drivers for people to be invested in. And I get that Frank and Machine Gun Joe are your stars. But you want a little bit of cannon fodder for the last race. <laughs> like, if your plan is to kill all of them, spread it out. Right. When there was just two of them left, the dreadnought was was still going. Yeah. What would what would it have done if they didn't team up to destroy it? What it was just they, there was just no third race. Sorry. Right. <laughs> so, so, so that's my next note. When they Joe and Frankenstein team up, Frankenstein is by the way Jason Statham. He's he's. I don't think we even explained this at the beginning, but he's <laughs> the whole reason Edit. he's there is because Frankenstein is killed 
in an in, in the fourth race in his fourth win, and they need Jason Statham pretend he's Frankenstein. So that's why I'm going back. He's his name is Jensen Ames in the movie. He's portraying the driver Frankenstein, and it's played by Jason Statham. So there you go. Now you all understand <laughs> who I'm talking about. So when Frankenstein and Joe they team up to take out the Dreadnought, and Hennessy's mad. Right. She's mad that they win and take out the Dreadnought. First off, that's great for ratings. I don't know why she's mad. Yeah. Why would she want the Dreadnought to win? Like you said, if it takes out the last two drivers, you don't have a third show. Right. Yeah, so I, I think this is getting to your, – your fail of the second race is getting to a fail that I had in general was the writing around the emotions of the warden and – all the uh, prison guards around like what was good or bad for what they were trying to do because they get like you just said they get mad at things but it's probably better for their ratings or they get happy at things that maybe wasn't better for their ratings and so like it was this weird thing of in reality yeah if this thing you created doesn't work out exactly how you thought it would but you would be like, oh, well, I bet. How are the ratings? Like, well, how are the ratings doing? Are we doing well? Oh, there's still 70 million people watching. I'm happy. But like, they had these like unexpected reactions. I don't know yet if I'm going to call this a success or a failure, but I think we should talk a little bit about the director, Paul W.S. Anderson. Mm-hmm. Not to be confused with any other Paul Andersons out there. <laughs> so, Paul W.S. Anderson has a very interesting directing and producing career most of his movies are really violent he did a movie that i actually like that i think a lot of people don't he did event horizon highly recommend it that he executes sadistic well all right i'm gonna have to check it out i guess uh it's rated a little too low for (laughs) uh our our podcast it's only a 27 percent on Rotten tomatoes but i will take your word for it uh, he actually starts off with Mortal Kombat. Yeah. He directed the original Mortal Kombat movie. And then he does a uh, a smaller movie called Shopping, which is what kind of put him on the radar, I think, for a lot of people that were looking to do violent movies. Okay. He does the Resident Evil franchise. He did Alien vs. Predator, DOA, Dead or Alive, which is a video game mm-hmm. uh, movie, which is not, just not great. Mm-mm. And then he gets the Death Race. This was a passion project. He had been wanting to remake Death Race 2000. I think he was working on this for over 10 years. And this thing went through a production roller coaster, uh, which we'll, pro- we'll get to in trivia. We'll save that for trivia. Yeah, he's just known as this, like, the, the violence director. And I, I don't know. What did you think about... Uh, did he write it? Yeah, and screenwriter. Mm-hmm. So what did you think about his writing, his directing? Like, what do you think about the overall tone of the movie? In hindsight, looking, I uh, until a couple minutes ago, I didn't look at all the stuff that he had done previously. But there are a few moments in the movie, a few kills, we can call them, or people dying, that are pretty violent. And I think they kind of are a little unexpected. So may- maybe I would say that I, I wasn't that happy with how they were put into the movie because... The rest of them, the rest of the people dying and things wasn't super violent. I mean, you had blood, and but it, but it wasn't anything crazy. The, the the two that stuck out, and they actually held back a little bit on the second one. The first one was the Hispanic guy 
who I f- I'm blanking on his. Oh boy, we're gonna have to name. figure. Out, we're gonna have to remember who all the drivers are to get through so this segment. Many drivers. You got Pachenko. You got Travis Colt. You got Grim. I think it was Grim. It was Grim. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Gr- Grim crashes, gets out of his car, and he's just walking around in the thing, and then. I thought it was Machine Gun Joe got him. Yeah, Machine Gun Joe comes by and his like he has like a SUV type thing sort of, and he hits him and like his head like falls off or like blows off of his body. Like it's, and they don't cut away. Like they they show it. So that was unexpected, but looking back now at this guy's career, it makes a lot more sense. But I don't think it worked well in the movie because I think you either have to like go for it completely or don't. And the second one that was close was the Asian guy, the triad guy. 14K. Yeah. He, his navigator. Yes. Gets like a, it's like a drill bit, a giant. From the dreadnought. From the dreadnought, a giant drill bit, like right into her side. And I thought they were going to show more of it, but they actually hold back a little bit. They start to show it, but then it's just a blood splatter. Yeah. So I think he held back, I guess is what I'm saying. And I think you either need to go for it. Or don't go for it. I I feel like you can't do like a middle ground. My problem, I think, with his directing and his screenwriting is that he spends so much time thinking up these crazy ideas and these crazy <laughs> kills and these insane stunts. And just a lot of directors in the genre just don't spend enough time thinking about character, right? And building and making us care about the characters. They think if they could just introduce someone cool, we're gonna care about them, right? Think of like the Saw franchise. That's <laughs> like not how it works. A gajillion ways to kill people. That's just not how it works. One of my favorite examples of this is Predator, the original Predator. Those guys are ridiculously over the top, right? And it's a pretty violent movie. Yeah. But they, they do such a good job of making you care about this team. Right. That you're really invested in the character. So when those violent things happen, you care. You're not just like, ooh, blood and guts, oh, what a great stunt. You care about the characters, and that's what these movies, they forget to do. Yeah. Predator, the first 30, 45 minutes of the movie, you like understand this cohesion that's in the platoon or group, whatever you want to call them. And then so when they start dying, you're like, oh, no, not that one. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I feel like Paul W.S. Anderson has a great movie in him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have anything on Rotten Tomatoes. His highest rated movie on Rotten Tomatoes is, aside from something that looks like a, it's a documentary on Roger Corman, who did the first Death Race. Who did the first Death Race, thank you. The highest rated movie is Death Race 3 Inferno, which was a direct DVD, which is a 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> Mortal Kombat is a 46% on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm sorry, guys. I don't think we could do Mortal Kombat. I saw that movie way too many times as a kid, and I love it. <laughs> So, yeah, and Death Race is a 42% on Rotten Tomatoes. So he hasn't had a movie yet that he's produced, written, directed that's been certified fresh. I feel like he has one in him, especially as the director. Maybe if he teamed with, you know, the right screenwriter. Yeah. Yeah, I there's something there. There's definitely something there. He, like we said, we were both entertained. Yeah. So there's something there. Yeah, I, I, I hope the right screenplay comes across his desk one day and we get this great ultra-violent movie with just super engaging characters. 
All right. Just like Pretty Woman, Paul, you have potential. (laughs) We're going to Pretty Woman, Paul (laughs) W.S. Anderson. You think I got potential? (laughs) All right, Darren. That's enough about what we think. Let's see what the critics had to say. Okay, so we're going to start with the fresh reviews this week. This is going to be a little hard for us to comment on because we have not seen the original Death Race 2000, Mm -hmm. which was directed and written by Roger Corman. Uh, This fresh review comes from Nigel Floyd of Time Out, who I think we've had before. I think so. He says, it's brainless fun. But while Anderson's brilliant staging of the flesh-ripping stunts surpasses Bartel's cheap thrills, I'm assuming he's referring to the original, Mm -hmm. this update lacks the sardonic wit and satirical bite of the Corman-produced version. Hmm. So I think what he's saying here, and I think we could both agree that the the flesh-ripping stunts... Like we said, the action in this movie is pretty good. Mm-hmm. He's commenting on the sardonic wit and satirical bite. I don't know. What do you think of that of that comment comparing it to the original one, which apparently had quite the statement to make on society today? Yeah. Yeah, I think. Or had quite the comment to say on society in its day. Yeah. I think he's just saying that the the writing was probably better and what the writers had to say via the actors and actresses that were in that movie kind of captured the theme, a theme better than this movie did. Yeah. And I guess he could be talking a little bit. I don't know how much death race 2000 explores their dystopian future. Mm -hmm. Uh, In our movie, we don't really get to see, we don't really get to explore the dystopian future. And I guess, you know, this might've been something that I left out of successes and failures. And I'm thinking about the running man Mm -hmm. in the running man. We get to experience a lot of the world when Arnold Schwarzenegger is kind of outside of the TV show. Mm -hmm. And even when he's in, we get to see people watching the TV show, right? In hunger games, we get a lot about the world. And then the whole franchise goes off into this, you know, dystopian world. And in this movie, we don't, I mean, we, the, only bit of information we get about the outside world is from the narrator at the beginning of the TV show when he's like 90 million people again 90 million people have subscribed <laughs> we're up to over 100 million people watching like that's all, that's all we get yeah i mean we get we do get a little more in the very beginning you get some some information you get you get text and then you do get him losing his job factories close down all the time right without the entire doesn't doesn't show us that the entire economy is collapsing it's just (laughs) a business going out of business right in today's world we've seen plenty of factories go out of business and close and plants shut down it's not enough of the world they're trying to insinuate that it is right Uh, i will also say another failure that i had written down here was that that was way too much text at the beginning way too much text to read at the beginning of a sure, movie if rather you can't, than showing it yeah if you can't actually yeah put together a scene to explain that all right moving on our next fresh review comes from lisa schwartzbaum from entertainment weekly again darren i, I don't know <laughs> i don't know if this is a fresh review <laughs> but let death race serve as a warning or maybe an inspiration to any tv producer who says she'd kill for high ratings why not stage a pay-per-view car race in which prisoners compete to stay alive on the course? <laughs> All right, Darren, I'm going to ask you about the state of today's reality television. Do you think our society is going to get to the point where a death race could become a reality? 
where we're at sitting here in 2019. No, I think there's there's not enough like unification in the world that so many people would agree that even if it was a murderer or rapist that that they should die violently like that I don't think you could just get the general public to be okay with such a thing I mean we are having serious conversations about concussions in the NFL yeah and we're talking about would you let your kids play football so I don't see us getting to the point (laughs) if, if we can't handle our NFL being this violent as violent as it is I don't know if we can handle our reality TV sh- being as violent as Death Race is. Right, right. And if you want to stick on the the prisoner side or the murderer rapist side, there's lots of discussion happening around how if you decide that this person should be executed, there's lots of controversy about how that should happen and what's the most moral way to do it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> Where I don't think... I don't think like shoving a rocket up somebody's butt is like going to be like, yeah, that's that's probably the best way. <laughs> so yeah, maybe uh, maybe TV producers don't take Lisa Schwartzbaum's advice. No, no mm-hmm. uh, probably not. Probably not going to have a hit show on your hands. All right, my uh, last fresh review is going to come from Stephen Witty of the Newark Star Ledger. Stephen says, if you're a fan of Gone in 60 Seconds or The Fast and Furious, you won't look at your watch while the movie is going on, and you won't feel conned out of your money when it's over. Now, I think whether you'll feel conned out of your money when it's over is something that's going to come up in our final decisions about whether this movie is good or bad. Yeah. But let's take a chance here to talk about Gone in 60 Seconds, Fast and the Furious. Do you think the driving in this movie holds up? With some of the great driving movies we've seen, I don't know, Cannonball Run, Days of Thunder. It was pretty good driving. I, I would say that it was, if it wasn't as good, it was close. And I'll, I mean, I'll agree with that review where I was n- never, I was never bored. I was never like, oh, when is this movie going to be over? Like it was, because it was moving fast the whole time. Is it better than John Cusack's driving in 2012? No. We have firmly established that John Cusack <laughs> in 2012 is the best driver in movie history. Yes, yes. I thought it was pretty good, though. You know, the the fact that they decided to have the course go, like, in and out of buildings and stuff like that required some more agility, some some driving skill. Yeah. I, I mean, I thought it was pretty good. I, I, maybe not the best. Maybe Gone in 60 Seconds. Gone in 60 Seconds is hard to... Is hard to go up against and like same with like born identity and stuff those are hard Ooh, some born really, identity. That's really a good great driving. driving movie yeah um but i thought it was pretty good overall yeah i think the, i think the driving scenes like we said the action's good in this yeah. and that includes the driving uh you know whoever's doing the stunt driving for this movie uh, it was pretty excellent and yeah. they had him do some tough things the machine gun fire was uh, this is an early quick pick an early nitpick for me but like the fact that they had like basically unlimited ammunition <laughs> and they were just unloading on the tombstone, which was the shield on the back of Frankenstein's car. Like clearly you're not making any progress shooting at that thing. Why don't you come up with a different tactic? Yeah. Throw a grenade or something. So there was a little bit of stupid stuff there with the actual gunfire and the, the violence of it. But as far as the driving goes, uh, yeah, I would say it's on par with some of those other action movies. Yeah. All right, let's take a look at some of the rotten reviews for this movie. Peter Hartlob from the San Francisco Chronicle. I feel like he's kind of 
opposite view of us from this movie. He says, The combination of good actors and terrible dialogue might have allowed the film a chance at minor cult status if it weren't for the frustratingly inept action sequences. Hmm. Hmm, Peter. Wow. He did not like the action. He did not. Huh. Well, I think we've made it pretty clear how we feel about the action. Maybe Peter's not an action guy. Yeah. Maybe he prefers to travel by boat Ooh. or by helicopter. Yes. That, you know. That's probably... Probably probably yeah. accurate. Yeah. 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 He's anti-car. That's a, that is a weird review. I, I did not see that coming. All right. Do you think this movie deserves cult status? All right. So it's coming off a cult movie, and I think... Yeah. I don't know much about Roger Corman, but I, I get the impression that a lot of his movies have cult status. Yeah. No, I don't think so because it's, although it's a ridiculous concept, it's not as ridiculous as the original. Yes. <laughs> like, like hit and run not being a, or whatever it was, hitting pedestrian. So you got, in the original, you got points for, ridiculous. for the pedestrians that you could take out. So if you took a man out on the street, it's like two points or whatever. I don't know. I didn't see the movie, so yeah. you know, correct me if you're giant fans of this. So yeah. yeah, so there were points involved with it. Like this kind of movie, I feel like you have to have like a campiness to it for it to become like a cult classic. You need some humor, more humor than we get. Yeah, everything is everything except for maybe Coach and the Pit Crew. Yeah, is ultra serious. Yeah, yeah. I just don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't see it getting to that level ever. All right, let's take a look at another round of review. Again, again I, I don't understand. This sounds like a fresh review. <laughs> James Berardinelli from Real Views says, Statham's films never promise to be something they're not or offer something they don't provide. Death Race is not an exception. So do you feel like this movie promised something that it didn't deliver on? Or was it pretty straightforward? I think it was pretty straightforward. I wasn't expecting much more than i got i mean let's take a look at the movie poster here we have a very a smoldering jason statham <laughs> in a racer's uniform with the smoldering. with the frankenstein mask we've got cars and is there are some explosions some guns in the background and we've got natalie martinez standing in a very sexy pose <laughs> i i think that pretty much tells me everything i need to know about the movie yeah, that's everything we got right there. All right. Um, our last Rod and Review comes from Roger Moore of the Orlando Sentinel. He says, of all the Z movies in the Roger Corman catalog, they had to remake Death Race 2000. <laughs> now, I can kind of take this two ways. He could either be saying, like, Death Race 2000 is sacred and no one should touch it, or he could be saying... There are so many other Roger Corman movies that deserve a remake before Death Race 2000. I don't know. That could go either way. Yeah. Whichever way Roger intended it, do you think this movie needed to be remade? Uh, no. And then it's not even like a full-on remake. It's like a reinterpretation sort of. Well, technically they consider it – they say sometimes they call a it a prequel, prequel right. because they're saying that this Death Race in the prison – eventually leads to the nationwide death race where they're actually yeah. racing across country. So it evolves into that. I see. I see. Cause so the movie, the original death race 2000 is, has a very futuristic feel to it. Like the cars are very futuristic cars and right. Uh, the outfits and things like that. 
actually Hunger Games is a kind of a great parallel to that with just the outfits and everything and the technology being ooh futuristic things we haven't thought of yet. I, I think there was room for a remake for Death Race 2000. And from the clips that I saw in the trailer of it that I watched, it is a very campy movie. <laughs> so the concept of, I mean, Cannonball Run is a little bit like this, but a concept of a really violent race, you know, where your life is actually on the line. It, it The plot is rich there. There's a lot you could do with that. So I, I, I think that... This was a passion project, like we said, for uh, Paul W.S. Anderson. And, yeah, I I think that it was ripe for a remake. I think we should have a Roger Corman viewing party. We're going to have to. Yeah. Check out some of these these weird movies. All right, Darren. That does it for the critics. Now, speaking of sequels and prequels and sidequels and (laughs) spinoffs. Darren, it's time for us to pitch our sequels to Death Race. Okay. Now, I will tell you that not only are there sequels to Death Race, there's there's three sequels that were directed to DVD. There's also, Corman did a sequel to Death Race 2000 that was called Death Race 2050. Mm. So, there has already been <laughs> a lot mined out of this franchise. But if you had to pitch a sequel, what are you pitching? I kind of wanted to find out more about what's happening at this women's prison. So it's sidequel, if you will, because I want—I don't know—if there—if this men's prison is so messed up, women's prison's got to be messed up too. What are they doing? Oh yeah, but they're also like expert navigators, I guess. Because that's like she's good with cars. Yeah, clearly she's good yeah. mechanical stuff. Right. So what's happening there? There. So I want to—I want something that's maybe parallel to Death Race, where we're seeing the experience that they're having to prepare for this this death race and how that all looks. Are you taking Natalie Martinez, Cass, Case or Cass? Case. Case as your lead? Yeah, I think so. And all those other ladies, they can be co-leads. <laughs> I think they all died. <laughs> I hate to break it to you, Darren. <laughs> they but... <laughs> Unless you're doing it as a prequel. Yeah, so I don't know. It'd be interesting to see how messed up the women's prison is in this dystopian future. All right, right on. I'd sign up for that movie. I was thinking about that idea a little bit yeah. um, and seeing what was going on over there. What I'm going to pitch for my sequel is I'm, I'm going to... So this movie obviously has shades of a lot of things. So I'm going to I'm gonna pull from the shades of Hunger Games. Okay. And now that Jensen Ames and Machine Gun Joe have their freedom... At the end of the movie, they're together, they're in Mexico, even though they say they're going to meet up in Miami, which in my head I'm going, that's a stupid plan. Why would you meet up in Miami? Right. At the end of the final scene, they're in Mexico, which I'm like, yeah, that's where you would go. (laughs) Say Wataneo. Everybody knows Shawshank Redemption. Right. You go to Mexico. (laughs) So now that the two of them have the freedom, and then Natalie Martinez meets up with them, Mm -hmm. I want to see the three of them fight back against the system. Mm. Yeah. So there's an underground. There's an underground that's trying to take down this government. I we don't know what the government is in this movie. Yeah. We really get no. We just know that the government's bad. Yeah. Or or corporations. Is it corporations that are running the world now? Does it say specifically, or does it just say the economy is crumbling? See, that's what happens when you put a bunch of text <laughs> at the beginning of your movie. Can't remember. There was a scene I would remember. Text I'm not remembering. 
So anyways, whoever is the power source in this dystopian future, I want to see Jason Statham and Tyrese and Natalie Martinez take the next step in the action movie evolution, and I want them to lead the resistance mm. against. And of course, it's got to be done by cars. In the a la Fast and the Furious, <laughs> we cannot get away from the cars. They got to be driving for whatever this mission is that they go on. That's what I would pitch. Okay. That's what I would pitch. I like it. Uh, I think I like yours more than mine, even. <laughs> no, I like yours too. I want to see what's going on there. Uh, just for anyone who wants to go see the direct to DVD uh, Death Race sequels, I think the Death Race 2 and 3 are actually prequels. So you get to meet the original Frankenstein. Mm. And then I think Death Race Beyond Anarchy is then a sequel. It's very they're all over the place, the Death Race <laughs> movies. All right, Darren. That takes us into our favorite segment, which is quick picks. What do you got this week? What other details have we left out that we need to talk about? This is a nitpick. How come the SWAT team showed up so quickly at in the beginning of the movie at the factory. Well, Jason Statham does say something about that. He has a quick line in there where he's like, uh, I, something about how the cops showing up, it like will fulfill a prophecy. Like, yeah, so, but not, it, he doesn't say prophecy, but like the fact that they show up will lead to violence. Right. But it was so weird because why were they called in the first place? It was, they were, it was, it was a very, I mean, the factory had to just assume that it would devolve into violence. <laughs> it's right. A very cooperative scene until the SWAT team showed up. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I thought that was weird. Cause you were just like, yeah, people were mad. They were losing their jobs, but everyone was in line. Everyone was waiting to get their money. Paul W S Anderson clearly had a lot to say about a police state and uh, yeah. he's not a fan of it. He, no. he thinks of increased police presence leads to violence. Yeah. There you go. My problem with that, my quick pick out of that, is how did he beat up so many cops and not get arrested for that? Yeah, like, just, I assumed comes home, yeah. that was what he was going to get thrown in prison for, and then he just comes home. Yeah. And I'm like, what? No, what? what? So what does he get thrown in prison for? Yeah. And find out. Obviously. You find out. It, it's twisted how he gets thrown in prison. They, Well, you know what? I haven't spoiled it yet, and I'm not going to in case Ooh. you want to go see the movie. And if you've seen the movie, you know what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. All right, what else you got in your quick picks? <laughs> why do all of the, minus Joe, why do all of the navigators have to be the same ethnicity as the driver? <laughs> and I guess minus Frankenstein, too. Minus the uh, two of them. The Asian guy has an Asian girl. The other black guy has a black girl. The Latino guy has a Latin, Latino girl. <laughs> like, it's that's like, true. Why does it have to be that, that way? <laughs> yeah. I only ride with my kind. <laughs> it's, it's just such, it's so, it's so dumb. It's... Yeah. That, uh, you know what? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't <laughs> catch it. And you're right. You're absolutely right. That's, it's a weird choice. Yeah. I'm going to give, I want to give a shout out. So this is a scene that I believe if I'm reading correctly, only takes place in the unrated version. But the very first night he's in prison, of course his cellmates want to beat him up because that's how prisons work, which I'm going to get into in a second. (laughs) But they cut away to, I think, Jason Isaac's character, the the prison head prison guard. He's like walking down the hallway. And you hear, they all like look at Jason Statham in a very threatening manner. And then you just hear punching and grunting. (laughs) (laughs) And then he walks back. And of course, all those guys are knocked out and Jason Statham's just standing there. Yep. And has a witty one-liner. Yep. I, 
was funny. I I like you could feel that scene was coming. Yeah. And I the way they handled it, it was quick, it was to the point. <laughs> Jason Statham can beat up anybody. Yeah. I think this may have also been we we may have said that this this is something that was only in the unrated also. At one point, Case, the navigator, gets out of the car because the machine gun is jammed. He's trying to start shooting, and it's not working. So, obviously, the only way a gun can be fixed is to beat it with a wrench. That's how you fix a gun. Darren, you know, I work in a very technical, mechanical industry, and I can tell you that the way you fix anything is to beat it with a wrench. <laughs> you got to know the Always right spot works, yeah. to hit it in. Yep. Yeah, I mean, that's that's basically what they teach you in mechanic school. They sit you down with, with a drawing, and they say, hit it with a wrench here. <laughs> that's all it takes. Yeah. All right, that's a that's a good that's a good nitpick. Yeah. All right, I I don't know where to fit this in anywhere else in the podcast, and that's why we have quick picks. We have to talk about the stereotypes in prison, and I I feel like every prison movie you have the evil prison guards, you have the manipulative wardens, you have gang violence, you got to rough up the new guy, you have the there's usually some kind of threat of sexual violence. You have the fancy guys. See, this is where it's like it's weird tropes that are in all of them. And I'm yeah. the fancy guys are the guys that guys or girls that like nobody seems to mess with, and they like they have their books or their chess or their baseball mitts so they could play catch in the yard, and yeah. they don't seem threatened by the violence at all. They've like reached a status that's above the violence. They basically mm-hmm. seem untouchable. Yeah. And so they live this cushy life in prison. I know the prisons are hard. I don't understand why all of these tropes are in every prison movie. And our movie here, Death Race, hits them all. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why. I mean, maybe it is some, maybe there's some accuracy to it. And that's why people keep doing it. Or maybe people just think it works well. Maybe they like the idea of like the different characters. Because I think maybe they feel like it's hard to put together different characters in a prison because you might feel like everyone is kind of the same or like they're, which is not true. But I mean, I don't know why they do it. But you're, you're right. It is in everything. You know what? I just popped into my head. Have you seen The Green Mile? Yeah. I have not. You don't seen The it, Green it Mile? Is a, it is a gap in my cinema experience. Oh, it's so good. Does it follow these tropes that I'm talking about, or is that the exception to the rule? It doesn't hit all of them. There definitely is a really crappy guard who's mean and sucks. But you you actually don't explore a lot of the prisoners in Green Mile. You only are really exposed to a couple of them. So I don't I don't think you get that full sort of cast of of prisoners. And there isn't as much interaction between all of the prisoners. You you're kind of only in that one in the 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 death row section so you're only exposed to like four or five prisoners okay but so it hits a couple doesn't hit all of them uh, yeah, uh, yeah you know i don't what? know why another one popped in my head is life with eddie murphy and martin lawrence <laughs> what's that right it's a 50 percent of ron tomatoes can't do it no. i love that movie that movie cracks me up yeah and you still have a little bit of the evil prison warden but the inmates work together yeah a lot more uh, cool Hand Luke. Man, the prison movies are all coming back to me right now. <laughs> Super evil prison warden yeah. uh, and guards. Uh, but again, the the prisoners seem to have a little bit more camaraderie in that one. Yeah. But you're it's, right. It uh, is. It is a thing that you see in a ton of 
of of jail and prison movies. I don't know why. I want, and if you know of a prison movie that subverts all your all these expectations, tweet at us, please, please send us a message. I want to know. Uh, I want to see a movie like that. I would love to sit down with a prison movie and be completely blown away by flipping all of these character types yeah. on their head. The warden is warden is just like the nicest person in the world. <laughs> just trying to build the all of them warden. up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the point of prison is supposed to be re- rehabilitation. Yeah. And I've, no prison movie seems to ever care about it. <laughs> All right, Darren, what else you got in your quick picks? This is going to be a total knock on Jason Clark, so I apologize. But <laughs> like at some point in the movie, man, about, about three quarters, he does, he does something to the track or, or something he's, he's happy about in like an evil sort of way. Yeah. And they show this profile shot of him, right? The profile is when you're like shot from the side, yeah, right? Yeah. This profile shot of him. And I never noticed before, but it's it's he's kind of backlit, and it's like his chin and nose are like mirror images of each other. <laughs> like his chin bends upwards, and his nose obviously goes down like a regular nose, but it's kind of hooked a little bit, and it just looks like they're the same thing, just pointing different directions. <laughs> I, I'm so sorry, Jason. You know, I think I called him Jason Isaacs earlier. Yeah. Jason Clark. Yeah, that's okay. Okay. I actually never pa- noticed that. I rewound it and paused it, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> uh, maybe if Darren finds that, we'll screenshot it <laughs> and tweet it out. I feel like he put on a little weight for this movie, or maybe maybe he was just in a little heavier phase in his life. But yeah. his, his, his chin did seem a little heavy, a little yeah. thick. It's a little um, thicker. I don't know. Maybe he just did it to be creepier, because he is creepy. I'll give him that. He's a little bit creepy yeah. in this. All right, that is a good one. I did not expect that. I do not have that on my list. Here's a classic nitpick from me. How do they get such good audio on their security cameras? Oh, they, it's true. They cut to a security camera of Coach uh, Ian McShane and Jason Statham walking through. In the garage. In the yeah. garage. And it's just crystal clear audio. Dystopian future, man. Audio is good. <laughs> I mean, if you come on, like that's a little detail that you could easily have gotten right to make it better. Like you cut the audio, you you put a filter on the audio. You could do it in post, yeah, and just yeah. run some kind of filter over the audio to make it seem a little grainy, a little bit hard to hear. And then yeah. when you cut back to your normal cameras, you can hear it again. Crystal <laughs> clear. Come on. So, warning: I'm going to swear. I'm going to say a swear word. <laughs> <laughs> so. At one point, the warden. Wait, wait, wait. Are you going to say the line I think you're going to yes, say? I'm okay. going to say the line I think I'm going to say. We have to set this up. Okay. So she is beyond pissed at him. She is beyond pissed at Frankenstein. Do you remember what exactly he did that set her over the top? Is this because took, he took out the dreadnought? No, I think this is in the third race. Is this in the third race? Yeah. So he, so backstory real fast. They plant a bomb in his car. So they, right. the warden and um, Ulrich, Ulrich plant, Jason Clark. plant a bomb underneath his car so that if things don't go the way they think they, they will, they'll just blow him up. And yeah, so it's a, during the third race. And I, I don't think it's when they escape. I think it's before they escape. Before they escape. 
This is her big evil moment. Right. Because she's right. Do- she's done with, with him. She's going to kill him. It's just, I'm tired of you. This is it's over. I'm, she has reached her limits. Right. You've you frustrated me so much. That's I'm just gonna blow you up. And she says Fuck with me and we'll see who shits on the sidewalk. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually okay, cocksucker. Oh right, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if if was it like you're gonna be homeless, so you're gonna poop on the sidewalk. <laughs> I was I I didn't Google it. Did you Google it? No, I didn't Google uh, Darren, it. Darren, we could sit here for hours and debate <laughs> what this what, means. what shit on the sidewalk means. I, and I don't know so, if, if well, they they might be in on the joke. I'll say one thing real fast before you. They might be in on the joke because I this I normally don't, but I ran all the way through the credits to see if there was any like images or anything like that, and there wasn't. And I got to the very end. And she says it again. There's audio of her saying the line again. <laughs> I, so I mean, if you if you break down the sentence, we'll see who shits on the sidewalk. So that makes it imply, I think, that shitting on the sidewalk is the winner. I don't know. <laughs> like I'll shit on the sidewalk before you do. <laughs> why? Why? Why is that a win? <laughs> I don't. Oh boy, I love I. It's, this is one of my favorite things that when when there's lines in movies and it's supposed to be sound, it's said like it's a catchphrase and it's something completely made up. Yeah, I don't understand why this didn't make it onto the movie poster. Why isn't this the tagline of the movie? Right, right. Oh man, yeah, <laughs> no explanation. That's what we're gonna call season two of this podcast. It's gonna be the No Meh Movies Podcast season two. We'll see who shits on the sidewalk. <laughs> oh man all right another one for me you know that whenever they show close-ups of things like super specific like intentional close-ups i always think to myself is that going to come back around yeah in 2012 from a few movies ago it was moby dick and it didn't come around in this one they do a close-up of the cigarette lighter when they're like first going over the car. Mm. And I'm like, why are you showing me the cigarette lighter? Is that going to come back? And sure enough, it does. It does. This movie, it does. They made it. They did it. Uh, when they eject the tank of, of napalm, napalm uh, she lights the cigarette lighter and tosses cast, Case tosses it on the car and uh, blows him up. Yeah. I was Comes like, around. yes, <laughs> yes, cigarette lighter, you made it back. <laughs> That's I I went through all mine. I'm sure you have more, though. <laughs> okay. Uh, not too many more. We talked about a lot of these. I'll, I'll actually end with a question. How does this movie of ultraviolence and prison cliches end on a warm, gooey message about fatherhood? Yeah. I don't know. The very end of this movie, he's holding his baby daughter and talking about how she's the only thing that matters in the world. Yeah. Yeah, it was weird. I was like, what a nice heartwarming message <laughs> for this ultra-violent movie to end on. <laughs> I know. It made me like, oh, should I like this more than I do? Because <laughs> that was really sweet. <laughs> it makes me like Jason Statham more. Yeah. And I already loved him. And it there makes me like him even more. Just an interesting note for this movie to end on. Mm-hmm. And Darren, well, we're not there yet. We're almost at our ending. I might have a little bit more trivia for you. 
a, a teeny bit more <laughs> trivia for you. I thought this was fun. Did you know that Sylvester Stallone was actually in the original Death Race 2000, a very early, ro- ah, early that's awesome. role? No, that's awesome, though. Yeah, he played Machine Gun Joe Vitterborough. Original Machine Gun Joe. The original Machine Gun Joe. Tyrese's character is Joseph Mason, a.k.a. Machine Gun Joe, so a slightly different character. Right. But both, I think they wanted to make sure that they kept Machine Gun Joe. I'm guessing in the original one, Stallone is his main rival. And that Machine Gun Joe is the main rival of Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was interesting. Quick piece of trivia. This made about $30 million in revenue. Yes, it did. $45 million budget. Did about 75 in the box office. So win for uh, Anderson. Yep. And for who put this out? Uh, Universal? Uh, Universal. Yep, believe. Mm-hmm. A total of 35 cars were used during the shoot, and they were constantly repaired by a team of 85 mechanics. Wow. Yeah. Props to the stunt team. Yeah. Props to the car team. Uh, they they delivered. They brought it. Uh, this is fun. Uh, David Carradine, who you may remember as Bill from Kill Bill, he was the star of the original Death Race 2000. And he actually played the voice of Frankenstein in the opening scene. Mm, nice. We never get to see the original Frankenstein. No, no, no. And uh, so, yeah. So they brought him back to do the voice, which is cool. Cool. We need to talk a little bit about the, I'll tell you a little bit about the production of this. Because it's kind of crazy, the twists and turns that the production process went through. Paul W.S. Anderson had been working on this for a long time. It was kind of a passion project for him. It bounced around to a lot of studios. Originally, it was supposed to be produced by the pair of Tom Cruise and Paula Wagner, and Tom Cruise was going to star in it. Can you see this movie with Tom Cruise? Not really. He's like a little too lovable to play such a violent movie. I mean, Tom Cruise can play a great spy. He can play a great action star. Yeah. I just don't see him as a guy with the nickname Frankenstein. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, you need... Smoldering intensity. Yeah. And Jason Statham's got loads of it. Yeah. 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 So then it went through production hell basically until Universal gets a hold of it. And uh, Tom Cruise didn't like, I think there are like three versions of the script that were written <laughs> and he didn't like any of them. He's like, forget this. <laughs> in in an interview, Anderson described it. Uh, he says it has little echoes of the original. A lot of people get run down, but rather than having the point system, which had no payoff anyway, it's a pure race. It's more like Gladiator with the last person standing or driving winning. So hmm. that was his kind of quote explaining it as it was going into pre-production. I see. Which, I mean, yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah. kind of nails it. Yeah. Um, we didn't talk about Gladiator at all, but uh, I think that's a pretty good comparison. Yeah. Yeah. Like entertainment for the sake of entertainment. Yeah. That's a very historical <laughs> yeah. type of uh, of entertainment for entertainment's sake. Yeah. All right, Darren, we have reached that point in the show where we have to decide once and for all, in our point of view, <laughs> is it a good movie or is it a bad movie? I was pretty decisive about this one. I didn't have to think about it too much. I decided that this was a bad movie. I I did enjoy the action. I thought it was very good. I thought the, the driving was fun, the creative ways people got killed. The course that was kind of like Mario Kartish where you drove over stuff to activate it things. Very Mar- Why did it not even know, pop right? into my head? It was right. very Mario Kartish. Right. So those things were fun. It was fun 
like we said from the beginning, it was very entertaining. I just, I didn't end up caring enough about the characters and there wasn't enough of a story really that was engaging. And there were just too many things that distracted me that it was so like one dimensional that I just, I just couldn't at the end say that it was a good movie. I'm glad I watched it, but there's a ton of other movies out there that are in this sort of vein that are much better than this is. Before I give my decision, I'm changing my sequel pitch. I now want Paul <laughs> W.S. Anderson to direct a live action Mario Kart movie. Oh, a violent one? Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> Holy crap. Where Bowser's really getting blown up by uh, by a red turtle shell. Oh, my God. There's so much potential here. <laughs> We've never gotten that true live action Mario movie. Right? Yet. Yeah. TM. Nobody can. T- <laughs> No, I want I want Paul W. S. Anderson oh, to direct it. We're not gonna do it. Okay. Yeah, I'm pitching it to him. <laughs> I see. Uh, I'll write a spec script. Give us some producing credits. <laughs> All right. My decision on this movie, I'm going to agree. It's a bad movie for me. We were both entertained. If this movie came on basic cable, like, and I were channel surfing, would I stop and watch it? Yeah, I would. Especially having seen it once. Yeah. If it were in a driving scene, I would probably just watch the end of the race and then change it to something else. But there, there were just there were too many fails. Like it just in all of the genres we talked about, and all the did it do what it was supposed to do, it just never hit the mark that some of its predecessors, some of the other movies in these genres, that they get to. Mm-hmm. And you know, if I want to watch a movie about a dystopian future with a reality TV show, I'm probably going to go back and watch the original Running Man with Schwarzenegger. If I want to see a prison movie, I'm watching Shawshank Redemption, obviously. I'm probably going back and watching Life with Eddie Murphy. Apparently, I definitely have to go catch up on Green Mile. That's about <laughs> failure on me. Maybe we do need to go back and watch the original Corman movie yeah. and and see that if we want a campy dystopian future driving movie. Yeah. And if I want to see Jason Statham in a driving action movie, unfortunately, I'm probably going to go see Hobbs and Shaw this weekend out <laughs> in theaters, you know, or one of the other Fast and Furious movies. Or Transporter, when his, his, Transporter. Heart, his heart's going to explode. Oh, no, that's Crank. That's, oh, that's Crank. crank. Yeah. <laughs> Someone took me to see Crank High Voltage in theaters. He's a fan of the podcast. He listens to us. Thank you for taking me to see that movie. I had a blast. It's not, it's not a, I, I would not say it's a good movie, but I had a blast seeing it in theaters. All right, Darren, that does it for Death Race. That's our final decisions. Unfortunately, we were both entertained, but it did not make it into our list of good movies. Coming up next week, we are taking a hard left turn. (laughs) We are stepping away from the ultra-violent. We've done adult-themed movies for the last two weeks. And uh, so we're going to go back to... A simpler time. A younger time. (laughs) Next week, the big release coming out in theaters is Dora the Explorer. The live action telling of that story. And from Nickelodeon Studios. So we thought it would be only right to go back and take a look at other Nickelodeon Studios movies. Find one of their meh movies. And talk about it on the show. So we're actually going back to the original Nickelodeon Studios movie. Harriet the Spy. It's a 48% on Rotten Tomatoes, and that is going to be the movie we are watching for next week. It's going to be a fun throwback. Yep, so this one you can watch with your kids. You know, you don't have to... (laughs) (laughs) No watching it after you put them to bed. (laughs) 
So uh, we will check that out, and we will be back next week with a new episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for supporting the show. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show on whatever podcasting app you're listening on. We've gotten some good reviews on iTunes. Those really help. Some of those gotten five-star reviews from you guys. We really appreciate that. And I also want to give a shout-out to... We've gotten some international listeners, Darren. Ooh. And I want to give a shout-out. We've had listeners from India, from the United Kingdom, from Colombia, from Romania, and from France. Wow. So big thank you to everyone out there, you know, outside of the United States who've been listening to the show. We appreciate it. Tell your friends about us. Spread the word. And uh, hey, we're a global show, I guess. Yeah. So, again, thanks for listening. You can follow us on Twitter at No Meh Movies. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. Leave us a message. Let us know. Tweet at us. Tell us what you thought about these movies. Thanks for supporting the show. And the next time your friends ask about a movie, take a stance and tell them if the movie is good or bad. Because on this show, there are no meh movies. Actually, he's not that young. He was born at 65. Uh, what does that make him? 54. Oh, wow, you're good. Wikipedia. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>